Hello all, welcome to Clergy and Collars Getting Coffee. Today my special guest is the Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris, who is a theologian, a pastor, an author, an anti-poverty activist. She is also the director of the Cairo Center for Religions, Rights, and Social Justice, the co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, which uh, she helps to run with the Reverend Dr. William J. Barber II. Uh, Dr. Harris uh, has also organized, been organizing in poor and low-income communities for the last 30 years. And considering you're barely older than that, that's like basically your whole life. Uh, she is the author of We Cry Justice, Reading the Bible with the Poor People's Campaign, and Always With Us, What Jesus Really Said About the Poor. She's also a published in the New York Times, Politico, Washington Post, Sojourners, and like a lot of other places. Uh, Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris is ordained as a PCUSA pastor. She teaches at Union Theological Seminary and has been awarded many awards, but including the Freedom Award, the National Civil Rights Museum, uh, the Selma Bridge Award, and the Women of Spirit Award uh, from the PCUSA. And Liz and I met, I was, um, let's see, I was in my final year when you arrived at Union, and then you've, since you've stayed there, I moved on and left, but you like, <laughs> <laughs> That's where you were. So welcome, Liz. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for thanks for uh, getting to chat today. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. So one of the um, so it's interesting because when we met, we were I was I don't know if I think you were in your early twenties. I was in my mid-ish twenties, and you know, of course, very different people in twenties versus you know this many years later. Um, but you you always you had already worked in poor and low income communities that was already a huge part of what you brought as you came as a student so what were those things i talked about the things you did afterwards what when did that call start for you are you like you're like um samuel right like you're like not whatever you're like nine years old getting your call from god what when did that start with you yeah so i was raised in a family that was deeply committed to doing the work of social justice um, uh, from my mom's perspective, from a faith perspective. And so I was raised, you know, going to protests, being a part of um, anti-poverty campaigns. Um, uh, and, and that was, you know, really from when before I can remember. I mean, you know, I had a little bag with a Winnie the Pooh like coloring book in it um, when I was like two or three years old and I would I would go to movement meetings with my mom and I'd go to church and um, but then it was when I moved away from Milwaukee Wisconsin where I was raised to um, Philadelphia Pennsylvania for college my first night um, at a pre-orientation program for 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 college I met leaders with the National Union of the Homeless and a student organization called Empty the Shelters, Fill the Homes. Um, and so my kind of, you know, introduction to college life um, was poor people organizing themselves um, to build a movement to end poverty for everyone. And, um, you know, I, I spent much of my time in my college years um, with those different anti-poverty organizing campaigns and so when I went to seminary at Union, um, you know, maybe uh, 
I don't know, eight years after I had met the Union of the Homeless and the Welfare Rights Organizing, um, I basically was sent to seminary from that movement, you know, to think about what were some of the theological, you know, implications of a movement to end poverty. Uh, it was like, how are we going to, you know, find connections, deeper connections in congregations and, and religious denominations, you know, support the work of, of poor people ending poverty. And so, you know, so indeed I was really, you know, committed to a movement and connected to a movement when I went to seminary. In fact, um, the reason I went to Union was, you know, a couple years before I had spent time at Union, not because it was this amazing, you know, home for liberation theology and for amazing theology. Um, it was because this was who had welcomed a group of poor and homeless families who had marched from Washington, D.C. to the United Nations in New York and who had kind of fed us and right. and welcomed us in. And so, you know, that, that was how I decided when I realized the call um, to organize amongst the poor was a religious one and that I wanted to be ordained. Um, then it was natural for me to go to union. So what is, you know, what I find very fascinating about that is your, the, and you were, you're very intentional with your word choice on this. Like it is about poor people organizing themselves. And, and that has always been, that's the focus of the work you do. So what about that makes it, what about, the empowerment of that is so different for you than I, I think the way we typically think about it, which is like a charity top down sort of approach. What 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 makes those distinct? And I, I won't say better than, but just distinct. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think a number of things. I mean, when you look at history and you look at kind of great transformation that happens, it's when it's led by those that are most impacted um that's where it's successful that's where um and it, and it, and and those movements have to involve everybody right it's not it's not that this is poor people organizing only poor people um separate from the rest of society this is this is you know those who would be free as frederick Douglass basically said um must strike the first blow you know those in pain know when their pain is relieved and so so, so the idea is that if we're actually going to be serious and successful about addressing injustice, those who are in the lead and in feeling the the kind of blows of it the most, um, you know, have to have to show a leadership. And and that in in what you were saying, you know, often the way we're told to address poverty is by you know, trickle down and kind of actually on some level saving the poor rather than poor people, you know, saving the soul of our society, which is what I really believe is possible and is is biblically grounded and is happening. Um, you know, when we look at our Bible passages, um, you know, Jesus and all of his disciples and the apostles are are all on the other end of society. I mean, they they're in the you know, the 99% or, or, or however we want to talk about it, but, but they're, they're, they're not doing well. Um, you know, Jesus, Jesus is not elite. No, no, exactly. He describes himself as, you know, the birds of the air have their nests and foxes have dens, but, but human beings and, and I am homeless. Right. I mean, and, and, and that I think we should take quite 
quite literally, um, even if if a literal interpretation of the Bible isn't always what we what we are, are called to do. But yeah. here you have these these stories, these parables, these examples of poor people 2000 years ago coming together, winning people from other sections of society. That's the reason we hear in the parables, you know, about a centurion or or someone oh. with, you know, a seller of a purple cloth. You know, we, we hear about other stories of people with means joining a movement led by poor people in our earliest Christian tradition. Um, and I, I see that happening still in our lives today. And, yeah. and I, I see that there's a there's an integrity and a and a kind of strategicness um, to it as well. So like I remember as a as a student, right, that you had talked, you had begun having conversations about um, allowing homeless people in to sort of opt into Bible study classes and these sort of things and to begin to take coursework. And I remember that being like the sort of, I'll call it a, a pushback from several people being like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Like I pay for that, right? How did they, get, why do they get it for free, right? There was this like, I, I was trying to think about it as I was I was remembering these today, and obviously, like it happened, right? You made it happen. You 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 in, stayed in the conversations long enough with the people who made those decisions to, uh, you know, see it through to to being and you know, quite a successful program. I mean, some of those things. I mean, it took years. It wasn't instantaneous, right? It was. I I think I wasn't even a student anymore and you were in your PhD program when it actually came into being. But, uh, you know, and then of course this lifted up as like, isn't this this cool thing? And it's like, it is this cool thing, but it didn't get there without, you know, some uh, really a lot of hard work. But the thing that I kept ruminating on when I was thinking about it this morning was the worthiness, like, like as though all people, right? Which is, Jesus was always talking, no, they get this because they're people, right? People is what makes them worthy, period. And if we want to talk about worth, truthfully, we're probably all unworthy, right? And this, that's what grace is, right? That's what, that's what it means to be loved. So like, it's not a hierarchical system. Like God does not abide by our cultural hierarchical systems and, and means. But how do you, how do you withstand that? Like when you brush up against that, where it's like, yeah, I'll help poor children, but I'm not going to help poor adults because they got themselves into this mess. So like that sort of, I, you hear, I hear that rhetoric quite often. Um, and I don't really feel like I, I have great vocabulary for combating that all the time because I, I find I'm like, oh, I don't know, you know, like there's this, but you do it 30 plus years. You've been doing that 30 plus years. So how do you, what, how do you respond to that? How, what, what helps you address that and then make slow changes so that, you know, six years later, union students and homeless students are taking classes together and learning from each other and yeah i mean so i think there's it's very real like the the way that we have 
kind of demonized and stereotyped foreign homeless people in our society. And, and, and I think that's not an accident, right? I mean, we're actually living in a society that is the richest, you know, kind of, you know, experiment in human history. Um, uh, and yet, about 41% of, of people in the United States right now are poor or low income like poor or one couple hundred dollar emergency away from absolute economic ruin right so we're not talking about like a small group of people over here um and in fact the reason i i believe that that we have these stereotypes and we have this these kind of walls put up um that try to separate poor and homeless and low-income people from the rest of society is actually because there's so little separation um and it's and it's you know you, you have to kind of other people in order to be able to then pass policies that that you know that don't lift people up um oh. when you know when you actually look at things again like when you lift from the bottom everybody rises like when you when you when our society does something like a child tax credit um and and extends that to to everybody, um, including the poorest people in our society, then guess what? Not only are 4 million kids lifted above the poverty line, but our whole society does better. Um, that, and that happened in COVID, right? Exactly. Yeah. Happened. And then our Congress, you know, and, and, and wages were raised because of it. And, you know, and other like more money was in the economy. So little local businesses did better, right? All of these things, right? Um, and then Congress decided not to extend it, right? And so then in the course of a year, from 2021 to 2022, you can have actually child poverty double um, because you got rid of a couple of little programs that cost our society very little. And in fact, when you look at them in terms of investments in the economy, they, they actually didn't cost anything. They, they were a benefit. Um, but so I, I think that part of how I look at, at these issues and, and you know, keep on advocating for the leadership um, and organization of poor and low-income people is, is that, again, the least of these um, from Matthew 25 is really most of us right yeah. it's it's actually really uh and you know what happens to the poorest person in our society has an impact you know a, an impact on on absolutely everybody um you know and 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 again i think covid taught us that i think lots of things teach us that but but uh but but the reality is is that um if we get rid of some of the fear and some of the stereotypes and some of the division, um, then we have the possibility of actually living in a society where people's needs are met and where, you know, life is better for everyone. But but that does go against, you know, what people are hearing over and over and over again. I mean, I, I think about how, you know, the dominant kind of theology in our churches still today is that poor people are sinners. And like, if you just prayed harder and you had, so fewer kids, yes. yes. Um, and if you, you know, you, you bought with your food stamps, you know, hot dogs and not shrimp, right. Then you would be, you know, that then you would be great. Right. And not the actual theological truth that poverty is a sin that should and could be ended. Um, and that, as long as poverty exists, 
God is not happy with us. Um, and this is a clear theme in our biblical tradition. I mean, and it doesn't happen one time. It's, it's the ark, right? It's, it, it's the, the story of the kind of storehouses in Egypt that actually result in, in you know, the, the enslavement. Um, it's the story of the Exodus. It's the story of the prophets. It's the story of the Deuteronomic code. It's the story of the healings and miracles. Right? The idea is actually that, that it is God's will that everybody thrive and not just barely survive. And, and if our society is not organized in a way that actually lifts people up, then we are being disobedient to God. But that is not what we hear. That's not what we hear from our churches, but that's not what we hear from the media. You know, what we hear is that, you know, people, you know, are to blame. Um, uh, and, um, and that we should distance ourselves um, because we have a lot more in common with someone who can go on a rocket to the moon than we do with someone who, you know, couldn't pay their bills last month and ended up on the streets with their kids. So, so this is interesting. I'm, I'm really glad you lifted up the rocket to the moon uh, bit because I get very frustrated at that um, display of wealth, right? I, it's not wealth necessarily that frustrates me. It's that you have so much, you don't know what to do it with it. And instead of um, maybe taking that same amount of money and investing it into I, literally any community in the world, because they all have poverty. So, you know, like choose your favorite community or, you know, uh, spin a globe and pinpoint it on a map. Like that you said, no, I'd rather just joyride into space. And I have problems and I often I'm catching myself going, I don't want to be this judgy because I don't, I don't want to judge people who don't have a lot for like spending money on, you know, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I hear this all the time, like Jordans. I don't know why Jordans are still the shoe that we choose to like pick on, but, but like, um, <laughs> You know, like they'll they'll go and spend sixty dollars or whatever on a pair of Jordans and and not on, you know, whatever. As though somebody who's poor isn't allowed to to treat themselves, but somebody who's rich is allowed to treat themselves because they've earned it. Whereas somebody who's poor hasn't earned it. And again, it kind of sets up this false most false dichotomy when you're like, if you're wasting the gifts that you have, you're wasting the gifts you have. And it doesn't matter what you, you have. I also am like, I don't know. My mom was a very good thrift store sopper. So like I could have name brand stuff at uh, 25 cent prices that she found at a yard sale. So that it wasn't necessarily an indication that we went to the store and bought it, uh, you know, off the rack at full price. Um, so I, I find that those things to be, so how do you get, if you find yourself, do you find yourselves in those, uh, like I called them judgy spaces and how do what, what then becomes the, the process for, I don't know, holding, holding yourself accountable. So, that, you know, to get the wider view. I mean, I think this, this kind of critique of inequality 
and not of wealth and luxury items is a biblical critique, right? I mean, the prophet Isaiah is like brilliant on this, right? Isaiah is always talking about beauty and luxury, including and especially for the poor, right? So the problem isn't that people have nice things. God wants us to all have nice things. Why would we be able to like produce nice things if, if we all didn't deserve them? Right. right. Um, and this notion of deserving versus undeserving. I mean, that is, that is a, I mean, that is an immoral um, and a, a kind of heretical narrative that like some people should have um, and some people shouldn't. I mean, that at the basis of that is all forms of kind of discrimination and, and eventually violence and genocide of some sort, because if, if you can ever kind of judge that some life is better than others, I mean, then, then you've already basically, you know, uh, hammered that nail in that coffin. It's just, it, it's, it's not, it, it isn't what God asks us to do. Um, but, but yet we live in a society where, um, where this kind of, it's easier to kind of uh, judge or, or think that people are making bad decisions. And, 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 and part of that, again, is that we don't actually see the big picture. We don't actually see that if 41% of the United States right now is poor or low income, are 41% of people really just making bad decisions? Um, and poor choices yeah. or is it that it's structured into our society i mean you know currently as we speak we have various workers out on strike um because you know in the course of the past you know decades or even just the last five years corporate profits have skyrocketed so it's not that we're not producing more and more it's not that there's not more and more wealth being you know uh produced in our society it's that a very few are getting to hold all the lion's share of it and that more and more families are just you know are are seeing the idea that they could ever have nice things you know just go out of uh, you know just just fly away from their possibilities right. and so i i think that 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 then where where the work i do comes in and where you know where where i see this it's like i mean it is, I, I'm a human, so of course I judge, um, but, you know, it, it, I often will direct that judgment towards, you know, as you were kind of saying, you know, the, those who, who have all of this power and might and, and resource and, and then choose what they do with that wealth you know, that is not theirs in the first place. It's because people have worked really hard and made them rich. It's because they've stolen stuff from, from, for generations or families have stolen stuff for generations. I mean, um, I'm not saying that people, you know, shouldn't work hard and then make, you know, have, have beautiful things uh, that that's exactly what should happen. But, you know, the, the very wealthiest in our society, that's not, that's yeah. not, uh, you know that's not how they got their wealth like that's not how they got their nice things um they got it by by exploitation and by by stealing and by all these other you know forms and and the bible is pretty judgmental about that um <laughs> the judgment comes in is is against you know it's woe to you um rich uh the 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 wages you failed to to pay your workers are crying out against you uh, their cries are a roar in the ears of God. Like, I mean, that's James five. I mean, that's, that's not, that's not like some, 
you know, political call to arms. That's, that's the Bible, you know, or, um, you know, if you follow the commandments that I'm giving to you today, no one should be in need among you. Um, well, I mean, come on, <laughs> like, let's look at the, the amount of need in our society and in our world, right? Yeah, um, yeah for sure. And, and it doesn't have to be this way. It's not that God didn't make enough. It's not that there isn't the uh, resources to actually everyone to have, have what they need to thrive. It's, it's that, you know, we're engaged in an idolatrous and her heretical um, uh, kind of society and organization of life that, that, that God does not approve of, um, at least the God of the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, this is fascinating because I, I feel like one, um, well, sometimes I, I think we take these very complex systems or ideas and we try to boil them down into these sound bites um, or a meme or whatever. And while I may laugh at a lot of memes or I go, hmm, I tend not to share them because, I mean, in, I'll share quotes more often than a meme because I, I feel like, I was like, this is a much bigger issue than this little snippet can give you. Um, you know, I've been uh, working, I've been part of my community's um, comprehensive plan steering committee. and. And we, you know, I remember very early on in this process, we were given the, it's an out, you know, there's an outside group that's running it, helping, like, this is their sort of thing, I guess. But they provided us with a bunch of stats and statistics about our community and our county. And some of it was about, like, home ownership and the medium median income of people in the community and the education and all that sort of stuff. And one of the things that I found very fascinating, and I, I recognized my utter nerdiness in how fascinated I was by this. I, I'm okay, because at 45, I don't care, right? I'll, I lean into my nerdiness more than I'm like, oh, don't think. No, I'm a freaking, I'm a nerd, and it's fine. Um, and I love data, uh, because I, I think I, I mean, sometimes I think what data does is can point out some of the inconsistencies in our systems, right? It, it also can be very used very harmfully, right? Um, but one of the, the pieces that stuck with me in looking at it was, okay, the average income like of a homeowner was at 40, mid 40 range, right, of income. And then they break down, like, this is what the mortgage payments are, and this is what these payments are. And then it was of a renter in our community, the average income was about, you know, half than half of that, right? So 26, like $20,000 less. But the amount paid in rent was only a $40 difference, right? Mm -hmm. And and that didn't include you. So the utilities were included in the structure for the homeowner because of taxes and everything, not included in the renter as though they don't pay utilities right so i was like whoa so we're talking about a 40 dollars difference right because this is money people pay so i like got like nerdily excited about oh my gosh so if we helped people get loans and whatever then they could divert and they could build wealth because they're paying the same amount and they were all like no that's not how it works and i was like i feel like that's 
am I am I reading it wrong? And and so what I realized as we exchanged ideas and everything and had a little discussion, we didn't get to go into it in depth at that particular meeting, is that what was influencing or or hindering our conversation were these was the rhetoric of whatever news source we listen to, whatever our our community is, whatever you know, those things were interfering with our ability to have to to even look at the information in front of us and go, what does this say? Mm-hmm. And what is this what does this mean for our community? Uh, because we might not be able to apply it on a statewide New York statewide scale, but we certainly could address it locally. And and so I guess in your work, when you work with people, is that do you do a portion of that kind of stuff or 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 is that irrelevant? Is that not necessary for the work that you do? Yeah, one of the things we, we talk about a lot in, in the work we do is that like we kind of um, we don't want to be loud and wrong. And so that like actually <laughs> like backing up, you know, the advocacy and the organizing and the protest work that we're doing with the kind of facts and figures. Um, really matters. And part of the reason it really matters is because that data does indeed show us a lot, both about um, the depth and breadth of poverty and insecurity, um, the lack of water, you know, the wages that people are making, um, but also about how it doesn't have to be this way, um, that there's actually other ways for our society to organize where we could lift the load of poverty and and everybody could could you know uh benefit from from you know from a kind of economic and social uplift that 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 is that again is is not just within reason but actually would benefit our whole society i mean we are right now you know living in a moment when we have not had a raise of the the minimum wage you know in the country uh, for 13 years, right? Um, and yet, um, cost of living and inflation, you know, has has skyrocketed in that time. Um, and so, uh, but and it's not that the the big corporations, who are the majority of folks that are paying people a, a like a, a a paltry you know minimum wage, can't afford it. I mean, again, their profits have have just gone through the roof. Um, yeah. So, so it's, it's important to then ground some of the work we're doing in both the realities of, of how people are, are faring and, you know, that if we just, you know, if, if we uh, cut our military budget um, and actually made our society more secure um, because we weren't just trying to fight the whole world, um, if we actually enacted a fair taxation system that, that meant that the people that can afford taxes the most paid the most taxes and not what we have right now which is that the poorest people pay the most taxes um, and when you say that because i feel like some people listening might be like that is not true so like i mean statistically it is it is true so so how does that how does that work because i think a lot of people go it can't work that way they just don't like they don't want to people just we just don't want to believe it works that way right well and the media and all forms, not just the most, you know, extremist of media, uh, but like, you know, keeps on making this point over and over again, just that we're living in a fair society and we're, we're just not, right? Um, and so, you know, people, 
uh, corporations um, sometimes will will get 50 years of not having to pay a dollar of taxes to just come to a community. Um, yeah. And in that same community, you know, you might have tolls, you might have other kind of taxes, but then you have your, your regular income and property tax. And so you have the poorest people, the people making the most, you know, actually paying both the biggest percentage by far of their income, but also just in, in numbers because of tax breaks, because of, of kind of corporate loopholes. Um, you have, uh, you know, I mean, we've seen this, we saw this for the last, when the years when Donald Trump was in office, all of the different times that he, you know, he basically had taxpayers paying for him to have a luxury haircut, right? I mean, he didn't have to pay for anything, let alone his taxes. Um, I mean, and yes, he pays. I just always forget to go get a haircut. I, that's what I routinely forget. I like go, oh, shoot, I haven't had a haircut in six months or whatever. And then I realize, because it, it, again, it, like some of it is prioritizing, right? Like we recognize the things that we also prioritize. And so often our budgets or our systems aren't necessarily in line with, or, or maybe they are. They're in line with somebody's priorities. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, it, it's kind of, you know, the the kind of joke that the golden rule is that he who has the gold makes the rules, right? I mean, that's, that is indeed the way our society is organized. Um, and, 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 and it, again, doesn't have to be this way. Like, if we had, I mean, the vast majority of people, including people with real wealth, uh, agree that that taxes can be a very helpful thing. And in fact, a, a lot of middle income and upper middle income people are, are very willing to pay more taxes if it would mean that our society worked better, right? And so we sometimes get into this conversation about like, you know, taxation or whatever. And, and actually, you know, taxes could be a, a great way of our society, you know, serving everybody, you know, whether it's libraries and sanitation and roads and, and schools um, and, uh, you know, it, and and the kinds of things that we that we need to function, um, and and the idea that that um, that then the the richest of the rich and the corporations don't actually have to be contributing, um, and and so they they just get all of the kind of gains of people working really hard, um, and they don't have to then give back to society at all. I mean that that isn't a concept that actually when when you when you talk to average folk out there that people agree with and yet it is how things are are organized and we just don't hear about it or we just don't we don't know that it could be done differently um we don't know that actually if we rate like it and now we have some of this data right i mean with the child tax credit again it was uh, you know for sure the poorest families fared the best in it and then now are faring the worst but but it yeah. just it helped it helped the vast majority of people, including folks who finally, you know, could had a little more money and weren't struggling before, right. um, but, but, but had a little more money and they could, you know, their kid could go to that, you know, another day of ballet or. Well, or yeah, that, that would be like my family, right? We don't, it's, we're not living in poverty. You know, you're not struggling. You're, you know, you make choices. Right. We don't have enough money to pay for our kids to go to college and save for our retirements. Right. You make a choice. But it, but we're not 
you know, we have the emergency fund, right? We're not worried about what happens if the tires on our car go out and suddenly that's it. That's our whole means of income. That's not the way we live. And so it did help us to go, okay, now we can go and do this. You know, our sons can do this thing because you have, you know, this monies that you didn't have before. And, and that was into a local right that was a local class that's a local business that you like you were saying that you got to invest in that you otherwise might not have been you might not have invested in but you i mean speaking of taxes like one of the things that my congregation i know several other congregations have been discerning and going through a process with is to talk about like we're a tax-exempt organization mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. but we're also involved in the community. And so having conversations about, you know, you're not gonna necessarily pay your property taxes, right? Cause that's not what you're being asked to do by that. You get exempt from that in the town. But does that mean you don't take that portion of the money that you would have paid in taxes and still invest it into the community? And then how do you do that? And you know, you talked about Matthew 25, and I, I know you've done a lot of work with the PCUSA on the Matthew 25 and, and participated in the workshops and some of the leadership call, but but that's been the conversation, right? Like if this is the lens, right? These are the, um, this is the mission that's been set out in Matthew 25 for us. How do we use the money, which on our particular budget actually ends up being very close to a tithing. The tithing and the taxes end up being approximately this, like a very similar amount. And so like theologically, we're more comfortable if we talk about it as a tithe of our of our church budget, not a not an individual member tithe, but a tithe of the whole budget, right? To go, where do we put it in our community so that we're not band-aiding issues, which is important, like you need the band-aids while you work on the systems, but like, what? Wh who are the people? Who are the partners? Who are? Where are the places in the community that we would, that would help to you know work on these systems that we say are important for us? And and one of the things in Matthew twenty-five is a is eradicating poverty, um, and and so it's really helped us to have, I would say, very theologically rich conversations because it's coming from our call from God, right? Versus our political alignments or our, you know, even our family of origins, right? It's coming from a very different place. And, you know, is that some of the work that you help people to focus on is, is changing the framework to which we have these conversations? Very much so. I mean, you know, I am an anti-poverty activist who basically got a PhD in biblical studies because so many of the biggest obstacles to us, uh, like as Christians, um, doing the work that God requires us to do is because of, uh, you know, I think a bad biblical interpretation. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Jim Wallace will say, you know, the poor will be with you always is the most famous kind of passage on poverty in the Bible. Um, and we've been, you know, interpreting it wrong for for forever. And, and it seems to me that 
because it's not even included in in the Gospel of Luke, that that this controversy has probably existed for for thousands of years. Yes. Um, um, uh, but um, also connected to that, like there, are, you know, you you really from Genesis to Revelation is a constant kind of revelation of of what we're supposed to do about about these issues from a biblical and a theological perspective, right? Um, and and so you know uh, some of the biggest obstacles to doing this work are the way that we have interpreted bible passages and the way that they're kind of weaponized to be honest um often by our politicians and sometimes by religious leaders but who are who are actually kind of just cloaking their religiosity or, or cloaking their politics in religiosity um and and i think um and so i think you know our congregations and our communities looking at what the Bible really says about justice and about poverty and about, you know, um, inequality. There, there is a lot there. Um, and, and if we're going to talk about something like Matthew 25, I mean, so often that that passage has been, has been interpreted as very individualistic, as, as yeah. very much like one person or one congregation, you know, helping a family or helping you know, a couple of, 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 of an institution in our community, um, when it's very clear from the beginning of it that this is a message for the nations, like this is how societies are supposed to be organizing. And so it's not just that like you as an individual, if you see someone hungry and you don't give them food, then, then you're judged, then you're damned. Um, it's, it's if our society has hunger, then we are judged, then we are not doing what God is wanting us to do. If our society, you know, has mass incarceration, well, guess what? That is not God's will. Um, because God has been very clear that like, uh, that locking God's people up is not the way to address, you know, uh, problems um, in the community and, 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 and so on and so on. And, and, and again, like you can, you know, there's some famous passages but but almost any passage you look at in the Bible, um, there is a message about um, you know what we're really required to do when it comes to justice, um, and it's not often what we're actually doing. Um, that that for too long, really, um, our faith and our Bible have been hijacked by folks that that are kind of putting out a false narrative that kind of blames poor people and queer people and women and immigrants for all of society's problems uh, that kind of pits us against each other and tells us we have to kind of rob Peter to be able to pay Paul. Um, right. um, and then feeds us this lie. That have their own issues, right? Right. Yeah. 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 And then we have this lie that like, you know, this is as good as it gets, or there's really scarcity when we're living in, you know, amazing abundance. Um, and so those are, these are all false narratives, um, but they're the dominant narratives and they're kind of theological narratives and moral narratives um, that actually, when we look at what the Bible really says, um, have almost the exact opposite um, than what we, what we think is in there. So, I mean, and, and it's really it, cause the United States is a very individualized, I would say that's one of our biggest like societal sins, right? Is, um, like I felt like this as I've traveled to different places in the world and lived in places where, um, like in Kenya, where uh, poverty just what is seen it is just it's just different. Um, but also New York City, right? And 
but when I came back to the U.S., I, that's when I realized, wow, the level of entitlement and individualism, what we combat in that, like, and I will say they're communal sins because I have it too. I mean, it's not like, it's not like I'm somehow immune from, no, I deserve this. And I, I feel that sometimes even with my children when I go to advocate for them in school or whatever, sometimes I'm like, no, my kid needs to have this special thing and whatever because, like, I know that would help my kid. I would like to think that I try to to do it to go, what sort of things do we set in place in our schools that would benefit a lot of the kids, right? Like debriefing after a, a school medical lockdown doesn't just benefit my kid, right? It benefits all our kids. That practice of debrief is as essential to the process of practicing um, these other um, these other things that we have our, our children practice and, and, and go through, it will only help them more. Cause we couldn't, I, for me sometimes, like how do we talk about in crisis um, that, that practicing is to help us to better deal with the crises, which um, generally are unpredictable, right? <laughs> like that's why they're a crisis is cause we didn't um, sort of anticipate them, but there are several um, things that you talk about in your work and that you're doing in your work, which are changing, you know, the framework or the system to do better preventative work so you can better handle these sort of unpredictable crises, like, like COVID, right? We didn't anticipate that. Um, but how, what, what is needed in place so that when those things happen and I mean, I hope it's not a COVID again, it'll be something else. Um, but when those things happen, you know, because we have changed the focus on individual and entitlement to communal and I don't know the other word, I'm communal just seems like that's enough. But like, you know, cause we changed and switched the focus to understand like when I have my needs met, when the more people have their basic or that you know their needs met or more people feel like they have a stronger voice and they're entitled to use it mm -hmm. the the stronger all of us are and you know and uh, and so that that i see is some of the the benefits of the work that you're doing in the ways that you you would push people like me who are like, no, of course we love poor people. We don't want to hurt poor people. And then we are just as guilty <laughs> of some of those same things that others, others, um, you know, the others we would blame are. Um, so you live in a very um, heady or uh, emotional state what do you do? How does how does Doctor Reverend Doctor Liz Theo Harris decompress? Like, do you have any like guilty pleasures? Are there like what are the places that you find joy that are essential to give you the respite you need in order to do, continue to do this work, this essential work for all of us? I mean, I I really like playing hard with my kids, right? Yeah. Whether that's like video games or whether that's you know, binge movie watching, you know, sessions or whether that's, um, you know, uh, claw machines. We really love claw machines in my house. And so find every arcade out there possible to to try to. 
Are you good at claw machines? Oh, I'm I... not good. I'm not good. No, no. But my, my kids are not bad. My kids are pretty good at those. Um, yeah, apparently there's like a way to do them. Yeah, totally. Totally. My, my son watches videos where people are playing claw machines and like kind of learns from them. It's awesome. Um, so, it, but, you know, we have a lot of fun. We, you know, and we have fun, you know, in, in lots of ways. And, you know, I love, I love reading. I love, um, I love beauty. Um, I think there's a lot of beauty out there in the world, in cities and, uh, you know, in the countryside. Um, I think flowers are amazing. And so I try to have flowers around a lot. Um, uh, but I also get real energy um, from doing this work. Um, uh, I mean, I'm actually an introvert, but like, but being you know, feeling like I have a role to play in the world and feeling like there are people coming together and 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 seeing all the all the time that um, there are folk with very little resources, but who, you know, every day stand up and and try to fight and I get to be a part of that like that actually is sustaining as well. Um, but but I also like to have, you know, fun, fun with my family. So what was the latest uh, binge watch or binge show and or movie that you engaged with with your children that you were like, oh, this is a good one for everyone. Like everyone should be seeing this. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, you know, we've, we've watched all of the Marvel movies kind of in the order that they are in time. Um, oh, see, we, that's an interesting thing. That's like a that's like a cosmic debate, right? Of yep. watch them in order of release date or in yeah. order of sequence, like. Yep. And so we, we, we went with the sequence and it was, I mean, we all had a lot of fun. My son is really excited about anime. And so we just finished watching the, the live action one piece, um, uh, season and, and thoroughly enjoyed that. Had a lot of fun with that. Um, I, I like the idea of kind of pirates, um, uh, and I think that they, uh, the the Hebrew people, um, ancient Hebrew people in the Exodus, uh, sometimes they're talked about as land pirates. So I, I think it's it's kind of fun to to then. So that's what I was gonna say too. Sometimes I love our theological seminary education, but I will say it forever altered and changed everything <laughs> I read, watched, and listened to. Like it's not just like, you know. I don't know, a biblical story or whatever that it changed. Like, I was like, oh, this is, you know, it's like every sort of thing uh, became shaped by that. You'd hear those stories. And so, of course, you would see the land pirates and the Hebrew people and, and like one piece at the same time. Exactly. <clears throat> but but I, I, I think that's, I mean, I think that's good. I think art should live in and breathe like that and help create new new things forward and i you know i i know like with my kids they love both love graphic novels and things like that mm -hmm. and it's very interesting like to watch like my son read you know like i don't know what was the lewis lowry book and, and then they had a graphic novel of it so when he had he read it and then he had to read it for school and he was like but i've already read this and i was like well let's go and look. And we found the graphic novel version of it. And I was like, well, read it this way. Like, is it different? And how is it different? Like, 
what makes it different and what, do you do you have a preferred method and so it's it's interesting like having him read the graphic novel versions of Macbeth and Othello <laughs> versus you know where you're like I wish they had had a graphic novel version of <laughs> Othello when I was in school like it I mean it because it doesn't really matter in what form you're getting it like you know I got Taming of the Shrew in what 10 things I hate about you that was how like whatever like that's how that's how that that work of that's how that came to to life i might have misspoke on both my shakespeare and my pop culture in that moment but um i think that's that's the i think that's the story that that's based on right is it i think so i think so um so i don't think it's just biblical uh theologians or theologians right right? uh a lot of people uh a lot of people do that so if you had to say then, um, and then I'm going to get to my final question. So this is like my pre-final question. Um, is is there a way, is there a conversation that our churches or faith communities should be having that we're either not having or we're not having in a way that's going to affect change is there like if you're like if you guys could have one coffee hour or bible study or one discussion just to start the other ones then this is a conversation uh that maybe the larger church should be or faith communities doesn't even have to be particular to the churches but yeah i mean you know it it is my this is what i always say um for most things to do with the church but i mean i i just i think I think we have it wrong when it comes to what the Bible says about poverty. Um, and I, I think that if we started having a different conversation in the church about that, um, a lot more people would see that like what we've been fed is not right. Um, you know, I, I, I think about a passage like, um, if you do not work, you shall not eat. I mean, it's still weaponized all the time. Um, and, and it really plays into this kind of idea that like people, you know, shouldn't be buying those Jordans like we were talking about earlier, um, if they don't have the money to do so. Um, uh, and, and yet, if you look at that passage in Paul's letter, it's saying exactly the opposite. It's not saying that poor people should have work requirements for the kind of welfare programs that they're getting. It's, it's saying that the rich are benefiting off of the work of poor people, and that, you know, rich people should contribute, and, and people with means should contribute you know, more to the community than, than, than poor folk are doing. And so um, I just think that could change how we actually talk about these issues in our communities and in our congregations, if we were to actually take on some of the, you know, the things that have been most weaponized um, uh, and, and instead, you know, or, or this passage from Matthew of the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, right? I mean, that's not a proclamation of how it's supposed to be. That's that's a description of how it is. Um, and so it's not, um, it's not we should just throw up our hands and say this is inevitable and we can't do anything about this. This okay. is um, this is actually a call to action. Um, but until our congregations are actually having those kinds of conversations, um, uh, and, and they don't need outsiders to come in and say, this is what it really says. Like, if you look at those passages, if you just read the, the connections to the passage, I mean, if you, if you just have a new interpreter's Bible 
um, for Matthew 26, where that says the four with you always, it, it, it says, guess what? This is a quote from Deuteronomy 15, where it says, there'll be no one in need among you if you follow God's commandments of Jubilee, right? I mean, like, and so this doesn't take a seminary degree. This doesn't take right, an activist exactly, coming right. in and, and leading this in our congregations. It, it's that we, we need to start talking about this four letter word that is poor um, in our congregations. And, and guess what, when we do, uh, it will, will, will end up somewhere different. Um, not alone, right? It, like we have to then put it into action, you know, then we, we have to do something about it. But, um, but I, to me, uh, you know, we, we are not taking up the kind of real issues that, that are God's concern. Um, uh, if I mean, that would be a really interesting, you know, communal Bible study uh, to do, whether you do it like you present it in the pulpit, but to just do like those, to pick out some of those passages that, as you said, have been most weaponized mm -hmm. and, and really just do an in-depth study of them to see how people are reading them, how it's read in different versions, what it's citing back. And, and you're right, you don't need a theological education to, to do that. You, you just need to carve out intentional space That's right. to do that because, um, as we see, it can't really be done in in a in an exchange on social media. Like it's not that's not really the place where we're we're hearing our best. I mean, in general, I think nobody hears their best without um, beverages and snacks. So if you can't create that environment, um, then it, then it and then it get it gets more difficult. But my um, my final question as we approach now, this is. Liz, I will say that this is the question that gets the most eye rolls, um, but it's it's where I've been as a as a kid who grew up watching early '80s cartoons with um, the Care Bears, and as I've aged, I've come back to them, being like, I think they are maybe the best um, physical, you know. Uh, <laughs> descriptor of the holy spirit right like if that pentecost movement now all i see is like everybody getting there like that how it comes down in that moment of like the things they're no longer little flames alighting on our shoulders they're like your little care bear alighting on your shoulder um so if you had to think about those symbols because i mean you've been doing this work forever i mean you've been you your whole life right and through good leaders and teachers and and uh encouragers you you've gotten to grow you know into this awesome adult person um so if you were to describe yourself as a care bear liz what color care bear would you be and what is your belly you know your core symbol on your belly that you shine out into the world so i um also grew up in the 80s and I didn't actually watch the Care Bears a lot, but I do remember going to Pizza Hut and getting like one of those um, Care Bear glasses when Pizza Hut had that whole series. Um, and my family never went out to eat um, and we like never got, and I, I think we had maybe had two of the Care Bear glasses that were like absolutely my favorites. Um, but when I think about, um, and, and I don't know a ton about their personalities, but I think I'm like a mix of grumpy and wish. Okay. Um, because I feel like both, I am very grumpy about 
how things are in the world. And I don't think they have to be this way. And, and I think it's actually okay to be grumpy about those things. Um, mm -hmm. But I also feel like I spend some of the most time in some of the poorest places across the society and, and really think it doesn't have to be this way. And so there's this way that like, kind of the way wish bear, you know, is yeah. that is, hope is trying to bring, you know, um, hope and, and, and blessings on some level to, to our whole society. And so I think, I think it's, I think, I think there, that's where I land a blue bear with various things on our belly. <laughs> I mean, I think that's awesome. Cause I, I do think, I mean, what I like about some of those instrumental children stories for me are places like, you know, Peanuts did this. You had a variety of personalities. Uh, Winnie the Pooh, Hunter Digger, like this was the thing. Care Bears, like you had these um, probably, I haven't gone back to look at My Little Pony. Maybe it's there too. But like you have all these, um, I mean, certainly present in Sesame Street, right? It's these different personalities. Um, and, and you go, yeah, and they're all welcome. Not even, not just the ones that we quote unquote go, these are positive personality traits, right? But to be like, no, there, there's a place for grumpiness. There's a place for grouchiness. There's a place for, you know, I, I don't know, Snow White and the Seven Doors, what was he, you know? But there, there like are places for those things. I remember when, um, what was that movie that came out with uh, the emotions, right? It was all the feelings, right? And joy was the default mm -hmm. for for her and inside out. And uh, and I remember when I saw that, I was like, I think my default isn't joy. I think it's the anger one. I think it's Lewis Black. Like, I don't, I was like, I don't know that that would be my, my like, you know, resting uh, personality. And I experienced tremendous joy in my life. Like I have tons of things to be, I am so grateful. Um, and, and those practices help me to, um, in my life, like I've developed gratitude practices and, and joyful practices. And like on my days off, I also go I into nature as much as I can to see natural beauty. I actually just encountered a deer on a recent bike ride, which was pretty awesome. I also saw three snakes, not as awesome. So I did not get off my bike for those. Like I did stop my bike for the deer. Um, but I, but I think it's, it, it, like you said, the, the, those ways to refuel and um, and sometimes that bitter sweetness of being both like we can both be a mirror of our societies and be also pointed towards a future mm -hmm. of, that's hopeful. I mean, that is the biblical. That's that Genesis to Revelate. That, that's the arc of that story. Right. Is is that thing. Mm -hmm. And and Jesus says, yes, yeah, so do it now right here in the present we can make these realities uh, happen. And so thank you for um, being that mirror for us. And uh, thank you for carving out time in your day to share your m massive insights. And um, I, I hope I hope one day our, our paths cross, they cross in many people still, mm -hmm. uh, and and in many ways, but I, I'm hoping they, they come to a, a face-to-face -face encounter sometime in the future. <laughs> I would love that. That would be awesome. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks so much.